to the latest Leaders Performance Podcast. My name is David Cushnan, Head of Content at Leaders. With me, as always, John Porch, Lead Writer at the Leaders Performance Institute. John, hello. Hello, David. How's it going? It's going very well. We are very busy here at Leaders HQ because we, as we speak, are just uh, a week, 10 days or so away from the Sport Performance Summit, London, 2018, 12th, 13th of November going to have some more details on that for you shortly but we're here for the podcast and it's another of our archive sessions that's right david it's a very collegiate feel to this one actually uh college basketball to be specific um we're going back to 2017 uh, soldier field chicago for the leader sport performance summit and on stage that day were mike bray who's the head coach of the notre dame fighting irish basketball team and matt painter who's the head coach of the purdue boilermakers and what was on the conversational agenda, John? Well, first and foremost, David, it was the practical challenge of building a culture around a team of young athletes. Like, this is actually about the practical application of it, which I'm sure everyone wants to hear and learn about. Anything else we need to know? Well, they talked about how you need to get your older players on board. I think one of them actually described it as uh, their older players as vets, which seems a bit strange considering they're only about... 20-odd at the eldest, but they also told moderator Steve Gira that uh, they, players need to be willing to challenge each other as well as their coach, and Bray gleefully tells the audience at one stage that he was called out by a student athlete in his office. Looking forward very much to hearing this. Let me tell you first a little bit more about the uh, exciting Leaders Sport Performance Summit uh, lineup. 12th, 13th of November, as I said, we've got over 300 of our best performance friends uh, joining us at the Kia Oval here in London, the home of Surrey County Cricket Club, of course. Great agenda, John, as you will appreciate. Uh, speakers include Christian Horner, the team principal of Red Pool Racing. Uh, we've got Trent Robinson joining us, the head coach of the Sydney Roosters. Lorena Martin, director of high performance at the Seattle Mariners. Will Fraser, director of the Saracens Way at Saracens. Uh, we've got Porsche joining us, Melbourne Storm, the Royal College of Music, Toronto Maple Leafs, Western Bulldogs, uh, Brian Bernstein, the head of performance science from Cirque du Soleil. It is going to be an absolute cracker. John, you're going to be there. Absolutely. With a lineup like that, David, I certainly hope to attend. I'm going to be there as well. Very much looking forward to it. Hope to see you there too. It's not too late to join us if you're listening to this before the 12th and 13th of November. Uh, full details at the Leaders website, leadersinsport.com, and then make sure you click on performance. Right, business done. Shall we get into this archive podcast? Let's press play. You know, a lot of times at conferences, like people, they start talking culture and it becomes very esoteric and stays up pretty high. So after our conversation that we've been having here today and then our phone conversation the other day, I really want to kind of drive down into the, some practical ways that you guys build culture, uh, especially when you start talking about like, you know, actually turning around, right, from a winning season or a losing season. Um, so I want to start with you, Coach. Um, you talked about de-recruiting. Right. And so let's start there. When you recruit a player in, how do you start setting the tone of the culture right away practically? Well, I think, um, you know, recruiting is, is individually based. So when you're trying to get somebody, even the most unselfish guy wants to know, how are you using me? You know, and we're in a team sport. We're trying to win a championship. Um, we're trying to get in the NCAA tournament, advance in the NCAA tournament. Um, a lot of what we use is 
if you want to go forward and you want to be a pro, because that's what everybody wants to be, mm-hmm. what do you think they're looking for? Yeah. You know, we're, they're looking for the same things that we're preaching, but yet in recruiting, we're not drafting people. So, like, if it was a draft, this would be a whole lot easier. We'd like a draft. We would love a draft. Um, we, we could do that from our beach houses. Yes, yeah. no, no question. And um, so when you go through in the recruiting piece of it, you have to be able to sell how this looks for them when they walk through the door from an individual standpoint. And then once you get them, now you've got to be able to talk about us. So my main thing with those guys at all times is I'm all about you if you're all about us. Okay. And it's, it's, a, it's a great statement. It's, uh, it's something we try to live by. Um, and right as that season's over, man, we're going to do everything we can from the time that season's over all the way to that first practice for you. But right as that first practice starts, we're going to do everything from that first practice to our final game about us. This is a team sport. So I have a couple moments throughout the year where I tell them to go wrestle or snow ski or play tennis or, you know, it's a team sport. You know, you're, you're going to have to be able to sacrifice. Yeah. You're going to have to be able to get along with other people. Um, and do what's best for us. The guy I played for, Gene Cady, he called it a company man. Yeah. He goes, you've got to be a, a company man, comes early, a company man stays late, and a company man does what's best for the company. And when you do that, now that individual will take off. You have a better chance of doing it with us, helping yourself, than you do doing it by yourself. Yeah. And so I think, though, that's kind of the best way um, to kind of, from a whole standpoint, really to look at it. And then from, so coach, from your perspective, you have a kid step on campus um, and now you have to indoctrinate him into your culture. Are you doing that? Are your players doing that? What, what are some of the methods that you're using? I think all of the above and something like that. And, and um, you know, uh, there's no question I'm doing it. Your staff's doing it. But when your culture is strong and consistent and, and we feel we've, we've built that now at Notre Dame, your older guys, your veterans mm-hmm. are maybe the most important voices to that new guy. I've got 12 guys on scholarship. Only two of them are new faces. I think Matt has a similar situation. He has a veteran team that, you know, and and both of us put our programs together without one and done. So we have guys moving up and being juniors and seniors and having key roles and they are selling the message. You know, I always say, you know, who's selling my shit when I'm not around? Yeah. (laughs) It's <laughs> right, something to think about, you know, and certainly your, your assistants are. But do you have players that you've empowered that really trust you, that you've developed deep relationships with that will sell your stuff when I leave the locker room or when I'm not even in the gym for two days in a pickup game this afternoon? Yeah. And so are you so coach for you when you're de-recruiting a player? Um, you have a combination of yourself dealing with the player, you have a combination of your staff, you have the other players. Mm-hmm. Like, so are you consciously like actually going down and, or, or telling, directing some of your um, staff to go work with a specific player on a specific, you know? Mm. Like, I, I think it's just a, it's a slow process. It's a daily process. Yeah. It's not something where you have a meeting and like, you know, you know I use de-recruitment as, a, as kind of a term. <laughs> Not something I actually use, but when you have older players in your in your program, mm-hmm. um, and you have those guys, you know those guys are your you know they're the captains, they're, they're the assistant coaches. They are they have ownership. You know, if you have a good program, anybody can have a good team. If you have a good program, those guys should be feeling ownership already, in terms of and not letting somebody walk in, and not teach them just like the other guys did. Yeah. So I think that's the most important piece. 
Uh, that, that's more important than anything. Having to tell your staff, I do a lot of different things in terms of who I hire, who I hire through support staff, personality testing, um, you name it. Um, because I want guys that I can trust. I want guys that are loyal. I want guys with high integrity. Yeah. You know, those values. Recruiting's a, we all have like, you think you have magic to fix somebody, but the one thing you can't do is you can't erase 18 to 19 years. You just have good or bad. So you might as well take the good of it. So when you get somebody who walk, I always say this about Purdue, when the mom and dad walks through, we, we, got, a, we got a pretty good chance yeah. to get them. But if Uncle Billy walks through, and, you know, a couple other people that are skittish that have been in and out of their life or whatever, it's not a bad thing in general, but you know, where do we lean when something goes wrong? You know, I want to have that support group. I want to have everybody on the same page. I want to tell them everything about our program. This is what it's like. And if you don't like that, good, don't come here. Yeah. I always tell them, if you don't like basketball, don't come to Purdue. You know, because we, we like basketball. You know, if, you, if education is not important to you, don't come to Purdue. You know, because we have two dreams at Purdue. We have education and we have basketball. If you don't think you can be a pro, I mean, we don't want you. You know, we don't want you. You know, but if you also don't, you know, if you're a fool and you don't understand that 95% of all NBA players have to get a job at some point, you know, so you've got to have two dreams yeah. um, in this deal. Speaking of mom and dads. Yeah. Uh, I think my next coaching job, my last one, is going to be at an orphanage. <laughs> Please explain. <clears throat> well, you know, Matt talks about the de-recruiting. And I think one of the things that I end up doing is to get the kid, we certainly, both our programs, really work on the, the parents. And my biggest thing this summer with my two new guys is I tell my assistants, you need to wean the parents off of me. You know, certainly in the recruiting process, they've got no problem calling and we want those phone calls and relationships to close the deal. But now I need to, over the next couple months, get them off me. And so they're not as comfortable calling about playing time as they were about talking about one of our games or something, a mail out we sent. And, and that's a big, big part of it. I mean, I have our staff check with our parents just I want you to make a phone call once every two weeks, just check in. Sometimes, and I was the assistant, Matt and I were both assistants, sometimes you're the lightning rod and you get crushed, but they got to get it out to somebody. But I want to know what's going on because, you know, more than ever, I think this era of young people are communicating with mom and dad. I, you know, we have two new guys on campus and you know, I had one of the dads call me already and, you know, kid checked in, was a little confused about this. And I'm thinking, I don't think I ever would have done that and called my dad when I was, uh, but, but that's the world, that's what we're dealing with now. And there's, there's so easy to text and communicate with mom and dad. So they're a big, big part of the fabric as much as we may get, you know, frustrated with them at times. I just want to keep, I want to take their temperature every two weeks and know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, something similar for you with the parents? Well, I, I just think when you get there, it's like you have to be able to get them into the, basketball is an easy game to, to watch. Like you guys, a lot of non-basketball people in here, but if we go watch a game, you can, you can sit there and talk about it. But if you want to watch rugby or you want to watch hockey or you want to go watch football, it's not as easy, all right? I watch football all the time. I don't know shit about football. I've seen a million football games. I don't know anything about football, so I equate it to that. Um, I still don't know offsides in hockey. <laughs> I'm like, man, I like watching hockey, but I don't know. Why, why are they blowing the whistle for? 
what in the hell is going on here? He's off sides, man. God, I mean, and people look at me like I'm, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. So when you deal, Bob Knight used to have a, uh, a saying, and we all used to listen to what Bob Knight said in the state of Indiana, but he says millions of people watch the game of basketball, but very few people understand it. And you have to take that in. So I always just sit him down and get in the, shut that door. And okay, I've, I've played and coached in a thousand games. So when you get advice from somebody and somebody was a good player, I'm, I'm not talking about playing. I'm talking about coaching. Coaching is different. When you talk about playing, you're talking about one guy playing. I coach a whole team. And the decisions I make just don't affect these players. They affect everybody. They affect our fan base. They affect the wives of our staff. They affect, they affect so many people. So I try to get them to understand, you know, when I make a decision, they look about when I make a decision about them that it's personal and it's not personal. This is about us. This is about us trying to do what's best. And they want, to, they want answers right away. And I just say, my son asks me all the time. He asks me all the time. He's 18 years old. And he goes, who's going to start? I, I don't know who's going to start. But if he had to pick it right now, who's going to start? I don't know who's going to start. Well, who is going to start? It's, it's like, who's on first? And it goes on and on and on. <laughs> and I go, whoever earns it's going to get it. But don't you think since these four guys started last year? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In all likelihood, yeah. I go, but they still have to earn it. He goes, why do you say that? I go, because I'm bringing young guys in and they must get this opportunity. You know, I have given them my word and I'm, that's, that's the thing. Give them their word. And when you say something, man, you better do it. And I always tell guys, Caleb Swanigan was a really good player for us. Um, well documented about, you know, his, you know, his past and what he had to go through. He shouldn't trust anybody for what he's been through. And I just told him, just write up on that board every time I lie to you. Just come in here and write up on that board. And it's just because you have to start at ground zero with that trust and then keep building it. And uh, I, I think that's the best way to go about it. All right. Well, let's shift for a few minutes and talk about turning around a season, a successful season or a, you know, unsuccessful season. What's easier? Well, I, 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 I've been on both sides of that. I certainly love uh, jumping off the momentum of a winning season and, yeah. and, and a successful season. And, um, you know, I've, I've felt that riding that momentum into the next season, confidence is high. Um, I think there's more, there's certainly, it, it's, it's harder after a, a, a losing season. You know, everybody's confidence is down, including the leaders, including the leaders, you know, and, you know, how do, how do I get reassured that we are doing the right things? Yeah. And, um, and, you know, that, that's the one thing about leading. Um, what's the military saying? And I think all of us in this room can relate. It's lonely on the point. When you're the leader, it, it's lonely. It's a, it's a lonely, uh, it can be a lonely world out there. It really is. And you know, who do you get uh, motivation from? Who can you talk to? That's not on your coaching staff. Yeah. You know, I think that's really important. You know, I've got a handful of guys I can check in with and, um, and, and that's helpful. But uh, I, I, you know, I've loved, we've had a couple good ones in a row as Matt has. And you know, there's something about maintaining and riding the momentum and, and being able to really, um, it, then it becomes really clear to the culture, we are doing the right things. Like the two new guys that are coming in are being sold by my 10 veterans because our track record says, you do the shit this way, it works. Um, when, you, when you've lost, you're kind of putting that together again. And, and, and I think uh, there's a hell of a lot more work. <laughs> 
What, what do you think? Do you agree? Or no, you I, no I totally agree. Anytime you have winning, um, the thing I would kind of piggyback on that is even when you have a lot of similar guys back, you still have a different team. You know, yeah. it's, not, it's not the same. Um, but if you have those leaders and you have those players, I'm looking at Bonzi Colson right here. It's a good, it's a good, good place to start with. Um, because you have a guy that's productive, you have a guy that's consistent, you have a guy that's done it at a high level, so you know what you're getting there. Sometimes you don't know what you're getting with young talent. You just don't. You just don't know. I always say that about a lot of young talent. I say, he's going to be really good, but I don't know when. And when you say that to a parent, you say, well, hold on, what do you mean? I said, there's so many variables that, that come into play when you come into college. You know, how are you going to handle the social piece of it? Yeah. How are you going to handle um, when guys are going out? You know, are you a partier? You know, there's so many things. Do you have girl problems? There's so many things that come into play for young guys. For a guy like that, you know what you're getting. You know a double-double's coming. You know he's going to compete. You know when the score is tied, he wants the ball. You know, things of that nature because you've seen it before. And um, I think when you come off losing or especially consecutive, I have something rare which I'm not, I'm not proud of, that we've won our league twice, but we've also been in last place twice. And two of those last place finishes, one wasn't my fault, and one was 100% my fault. Um, I had to, in those times, I had to look at my, you gotta look at yourself before you look at them. I think as a coach, it's quick to say, you know, hey man, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing? When in reality, you better look within, first and foremost. And uh, you better be able to take that bullet a lot of that times. And I, I think we made a, we went to six straight NCAA tournaments and we didn't go to two. I think a big piece of that was, was trying to make the guys that were going to stay with your team understand, first and foremost, this is my fault. And now we can push forward and make some corrections. And we had some additions and subtractions at that time also. And, um, but that was my fault. Some of the guys on our bus should have never been on our bus. And uh, I'd rather take nobody than the wrong guy. And uh, recruiting is different. You know, you, you, we all get it figured out. It's easy to get it figured out, but you can't always get those guys. You, you, you just can't. You have to have plan B, plan C, plan D. You've got to, have, you know, know how to move. And then sometimes, you know, you've got to just back up and take nobody. So the one thing in recruiting is you don't get judged, you know, by the people you don't get. You just don't. You get but you do get judged by the people you do, you do take. And that, that's, that's important. So sometimes... Not taking anybody is better than taking somebody that doesn't fit with your fiber or your culture. And what about like what about um, you know resetting the culture after a losing season? Isn't there something to having a team that's hungry and you know upset and pissed off? Isn't there something to that? Very much so. <clears throat> you know, we three years ago, four years ago, our first year in the ACC, we go six and twelve, and so you know I'm really wondering if this is a great move. You know, the ACC for Notre Dame. Um, you do have a group that's on edge. I had some seniors coming back that had a chip on their shoulder, two pretty good ones, Jaron Grant and Pat Connaughton, and, and that certainly helped. <clears throat> but as Matt said, you know, you kind of thoroughly go through taking responsibility with yourself first and go through everything in the program. You know, it's the first time I brought somebody in from the outside to do some work with us on the sports psychology under that umbrella. <clears throat> and we did some really, you know, it was some deep stuff, you know. I mean, he had our staff together and we were calling each other out. My assistants were comfortable calling me out on some things that we needed to do better, that they felt I needed to do better, that maybe they were afraid to approach me on. And, and I thought it was 
amazingly refreshing and healthy. And I thought it got us going on this last three year kind of run that we're on. And a lot of the language and fabric and themes that we talked about in that summer before that following season <clears throat> is still part of our language. Yeah. Our seniors now teach it to our younger guys. Um, you know, but I think as Matt said, couldn't agree more, you know, when the shit hits the fan, you know, you got to look in the mirror first and go, all right, you know, how did I screw this damn thing up? And what do we need to do? And even if it isn't your fault as the leader, blame yourself in front of everybody. You know, I like to do that with my team a lot. When we, you know, I like, you know, fellas, I screwed you up yesterday. I could have been way better to start a film session like that before maybe you're going to address some mistakes is I think really powerful. You know, first of all, the things we did at the end, that's mine. I'll be, I got to be better for you guys. Now let's look at some things. We, here's some defensive breakdowns. We got to correct them. We're going to work on them. We're going to go right on the court and work on them, you know? So just really accepting responsibility and putting it on yourself. You said something that I want to stick with. I want to ask how you practically did it. So we talk about setting a culture where they're actually challenging each other. So what are some of like the weight? I mean, how, how do you actually train an 18 year old kid to challenge other kids? It's interesting. I think that's the big thing with this group, you know, um, being able to challenge a teammate and without a teammate being insecure or don't get in my territory. And it was generated off of the theme of this gentleman I brought in. And it, the theme was, you know, there's days you got to have your raincoats on. And we still use that phrase. You got to put your raincoats on because, and I'll say that before, we're going to play Duke in Cameron and the shit's going to be hitting the fan. And I said, fellas, you're going to need your raincoats from, from each other and me. And can you be a man? We actually, you know, we circle up at the end of practice and guys kind of go through and rate practice, but they'll also challenge a teammate. Now they can challenge them positively, certainly too, and say, well, I'll tell you what, Austin Torres, your energy today, you were up on the backboard, but they may end it with, we need that every day. How come you can't do that every day? And so practicing that maybe every other day in practice, I think helps then in games and when, when situations are heated. So, Matt. Yeah. You know, anytime you come into that film session, that's kind of our sanctuary where when we sit in there and I, not every time I start film by by talking, maybe I started by asking questions and throwing it out there and, um, you know, just them learning. We had an incident this year where um, Swanigan jumped one of our players in the huddle. And so we, we kind of got through it at that time in the game. And then when we came back, I addressed it to start our film session. And I just said, everything you said was correct, but how you said it was not. Yeah. I just said, learn to frame your words in those situations to where now you're going to make him better. You're going to get what we, because you offended him, you know, and it's not, you know, it's not Cub Scouts, you know, it's, it just isn't, but you offended him and we got to push on with two minutes and play this game when in reality, we, we got it that you want the ball. You know, we're trying to get you the ball, but the guy who took an open three-point shot, you know, shoots 42% from three. Let's, you know, why don't you keep that in perspective? But sometimes he jumps over the fight, um, which as a coach you love, you know, those guys that, you know, that are, that won't do that, it's hard to ramp them up. Those guys you can dial down, and that was good for him. We had a lot of different things where we sit in that room. A lot comes out in our, in our film room. Yeah. Whether we have a speaker, he talked about having a speaker. We had Chris Heron come and about drugs and alcohol speak to our team. He's been there a couple times, and he's powerful and he's raw, but 
we talk about, you know, you need to share some things in that room. And, and Swanigan really came out about some different things about, hey, this is why I am this way. And I said, well, that was an unbelievable start because he allowed himself to be very, very vulnerable. And, but now the other guys in the room's eyebrows went up. So when they think they have a problem, he looks at them crazy. You know, he's been evicted 25 times. He's been homeless many times. He's went from here to here to here to here. So when some guy gets dumped by his girl, like he has no sympathy for him. You know, you know, if something goes down, that's not a problem in his world. You know, in his world, you know, being on the street and not knowing where to go, that, that, that's, that's a problem. And so like his adversity and how he handles that. But that's a lot what, you know, Mike was talking about. Adversity is really good. You know, it's really good because you can make some big time when you lose a game or something happens or we get into it or whatever happens. You know, now when we get into that film room and we get that, those, those things ironed out, those, those are positives. Those aren't negatives. You know, it's how you deal with that adversity and how you grow from it. But you also, you can't be afraid as a coach as to teach them your vocabulary, your vernacular, your how to frame your words, how to speak to people, how to talk to people, how to lead. We have a leadership academy at our place and some guys come in. We want to recruit as many leaders as we can. But what you have to understand, and everybody under, in this room understands that people can lead in the wrong direction. You know, we think leadership is just a positive thing. You know, people can lead and get to a, individual thought where they're, you know, what they're saying is they're, they're trying to say the right things, but in reality, they want what's best for them, yeah. you know, instead of what's best for us. So you got to be careful sometimes when you have strong personalities, those strong personalities in your locker room, if they are pulling the rope in the right direction, man, you have something special. But if your strongest personality doesn't play a lot or they're not into what you're preaching, you're in deep shit. You're in, and if you don't have a pulse on that right there, you're probably gonna switch jobs real quick. Yeah. You, you have to be able professionally in the college level to understand your locker room because you're not in your locker room a lot. And what goes on while you're not in there, if it's the right thing, man, you're, if you have talent, oh, you're in business. You are in business. That's a very important piece to competitive sports. A lot of coaches, when they first get a coaching job, um, they have this idea of this is how I'm going to set the culture. And this is the, here are my principles. Here's the things we're going to put on the walls. Here are all the artifacts that we're going to now start to talk about. Here's my motto. Um, how often does it happen to you where a player comes in and dynamically changes your culture or maybe just slightly adjusts your culture? And you, you have to accept it. I've got a great story. Um, I had a kid by the name of Ben Hansborough, transferred from... Uh, uh, Mississippi State became the Big East Player of the Year and before his senior year, and he was one of those really strong personalities. And I was a more experienced coach when I had him, thank God, because he was a hard one to handle, but it was good stuff. And he came into my office a week before practice and said, Coach, I just wanted to stop by. Could you close the door? And of course, when they want to close the door, the first thing you think about is, oh, shit, what happened last night, right? And um, so he sits down. He said, Coach, he said, I think you're selling us short. I think you're really selling us short. I said, you talk about getting to the NCAA tournament. We said, we know, we think we can be better than that. We, and, and as a young coach, I probably would have been like, you know, a little bit insecure. I'm thinking, holy shit, is this good stuff right here? You know, I'm thinking to myself, my God, I mean, he flat out called me out. And, uh, I, you know, we, we, Matt and I have all coached a lot of strong personalities, but that was just so unique. And then he went and delivered the whole year and dragged everybody and me along with him the, the whole season. So, um, as you say, you know, empowering that guy, uh, having a great relationship with that guy who helps you run the, run the locker room. The one thing about those guys, 
you can't mess with their minutes, <laughs> right? You don't mess with their minutes. Now make sure the guys you empower, their ass is going to be in there 34 minutes a game, right? You start messing with their minutes, the shit could go the other way real quick too. So, uh, but that was, that's, that has had a lasting effect on me that meeting and Ben is in coaching now and I see him on the road and I go, one of the great meetings I've ever had coach player. And so for you, do you, have you had a player who's just kind of taken the locker room over and, and then you just kind of, you work with them as more of a partnership or where you're just kind of letting them yeah, do their thing? Um, not as much as like a guy coming in, but we've had some good leaders. It's funny, he talked about Ben Hansborough. When I first got to Purdue, I, we took a kid named Chris Kramer and Ben Hansborough was playing for the St. Louis Eagles and I was down in Carbondale, Illinois. And uh, Ben's from down in that, in that area, and obviously they play. That's, that's the AAU team, St. Louis Eagles, that we got a lot of players at Southern Illinois from. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go after, a, I guess, a mid-major type guy at that time that's tough, that's hard-nosed. So let's, let's get Chris Kramer or Ben Hansborough. But we can't take both. And why that thought entered my mind, why we can't take both, um, I, you know, I don't know. But we didn't take him. Then he went to Mississippi State, and then he transferred. And we were trying to get him. And so he went to Notre Dame and committed to Notre Dame, and we were trying to get him. I said, Ben, you know, come on, man. I said, we got a great situation. He goes, Coach, man, you've got too many guards there. I looked at your roster, and you got too many guards. So anytime I see Ben Hansborough, he was with the Pacers a little bit, and I went by there. I said, hey, let me, let me explain something to you. The Big East MVP doesn't worry about other people. And he's like, looked at me, he goes, but I wasn't the Big East MVP then. So it's kind of funny, like recruiting, like what they think, like, you know, it's, you know, he's those guys that are that way that believe in himself. And Chris Kramer was a four-time all-defensive player. He makes really good money in Germany, makes about $225,000 and two-time defensive player of the year. You can't have enough of those guys right there. You, you just can't. So when you, when you talk about leadership and um, Robbie Hummel was probably the best guy we had just because he was a selfless guy. And uh, very few guys are selfless like that. He, he really doesn't care if he scores. He doesn't care about anything besides winning. So we, uh, you think you play hard and then somebody always puts you in your place. And so we had a, a game with Duke in the ACC Big Ten Challenge and they came in there. And what you have to understand about Duke is this, this environment they walk into at Purdue was unbelievable. It was off the chart. You couldn't hear yourself think. You're like, boy, we, we got, you know, hey, we're going we're gonna to play Duke. That's just, it's like you guys playing pickup at, at lunch for those guys. That's what they see every place they go. And they came in there and they stuck it to They stuck it to us. They out-toughed us. They played harder than us. They were grittier than us. And, man, I was beside myself. I said, hey, they can be better than us, but they can't be tougher than us. And, boy, they were tougher than us. So Robbie Hummel comes up to our, my office while I'm watching film after the game, and he's crying, and he says, we got guys that don't care. They don't care. And I said, Rob, they do care. They just don't care like you. I said, but don't ever lose what you have here because it's special. You can bottle it and sell it and be a billionaire because that's you very rarely get those guys that are selfish, excuse me, unselfish and selfless and just will do anything and everything. Um, seven days later, we played Davidson and Steph Curry and we had them down 25 to two. So we had a really good practice that week and we really played well against those guys. And, but um, those guys at Davidson didn't have a chance. They just didn't quite realize it. So the timing of playing people Sometimes, but yeah, the guys like Rob Hummel and Ben Hansborough, those guys, it's Rob Hummel ended up tearing his ACL twice with this. And I can't, 
He tore his labrum last year and he came back and stayed with me for four months while he worked for the Big Ten Network. Then he played in Russia this year. He has a tough time getting out of a conversation with me without talking about not going to a Final Four. And that's, that's a hard one. You know, that's a hard one. He said, man, he goes, I don't tear my ACL. We go to a Final Four. We could have won it all. We, could, we were ranked third in the country when he tore his ACL. And uh, we ended up losing one more game. One and two got beat. So we're going into the last week of the season, which we end up winning our league, um, being ranked number one in the country. And so, like, he can't get off of it. He's 28. He's never getting off of it. You've you, you got to get those guys. Because he feels like he let us down. He didn't let us down. He, towards ACL, you can't control that. But that, those are the type of guys. Um, if, you, if you get those guys right there, I always say the hell with coaching. You know, just get a nacho and watch because it's going to take care of itself. <laughs> you know, just get them son of a bitches on the bus. Amen. So we, when we get, when we have a good group or whatever, I always, he talks about empowerment or whatever. It's like, they're the decision makers. When we roll, you want to practice. We're going to go play Notre Dame. You want to practice at Notre Dame at night? You want to practice the next day? You want to do both? We're definitely going to shoot there at least once. What do you want to do? Where do you want to stop? When do you want to leave? Where are we eating? Because they love it. You can't ask those type of guys things of that nature. You know, asking those questions. What do you want to do? Now, if you don't have those type of guys, the hell with all that. You know, we're going to eat where I want to eat. <laughs> and um, which, as you guys can tell, are pretty good spots. So, but that's, there's a lot of that empowerment, you know, that Mike talked about. That is so important for those guys. They love that stuff. They love that. They feel like, hey, I'm running this. And so and I've, I've played with Glenn Robinson and before, like, and guys like that are that, that they're just at a special level. And they are running it. So you might as well even get more from them because they're making so many people better around them. And so let's, um, so we get a good overview of how you guys are setting your culture. At, um, so let's talk about maybe a mistake you made. So what was the biggest mistake, Coach Mike, in setting your culture? You know, probably, um, and maybe because I was, you know, a younger, less confident, more insecure coach, um, was maybe early at my days at Notre Dame, not being secure enough to empower um, my older guys, you know, not w w almost overcoaching you know, a little bit, not letting, not, not understanding that I had some really good older guys and it was my first season. Now I inherited a guy, Troy Murphy, Ryan Humphrey, both first round draft picks, uh, Matt Carroll who played, I, I inherited a heck of a team. Um, but I, I don't think I realized how to really, you know, let them have a say until halfway through that year. And thank God it wasn't too late because we were like nine and seven and then got rolling in the Big East. Yeah. And I think back to that and, and I tell young coaches, I just had a guy leave me, Martin Inglesby, and take the Delaware job, you know, to if you have some some guys like Hummel and Hansborough or and that time was Troy Murphy and, you know, work with them, get their feedback. Can you be secure enough, even if you're a younger coach, to make them feel like they have a say in the program and they have ownership? I mean, if you can get a group to take ownership of itself, you're 85% of the way there. There is just no question about it. You know, it's an interesting dynamic. We've, we've practiced twice. We're allowed to practice with our guys now. We've had two practices. and. Our culture has great momentum right now, and every day I'm paranoid, don't screw it up. 
<laughs> right? We said, we, we, we're rolling. I don't want to screw it up. How do we, what do we need to do? But our guys want it. We're practicing last night. Our guys want it so bad. I'm going to have to keep them loose. They have experienced some success. They are so freaking hard on themselves when they make a mistake that my role more is going to be, you know, it's long game, fellas, on to the next play. I mean, it's, I'm trying to, I was, two times I'm figuring out my place with this group, but, but that's a neat thing to have because the bar is so high. Yeah. And Matt has the same thing going on in his program right now. Yeah. Biggest mistake you've ever made setting a culture? Um, I, I just think your personnel. I think when you, you've taken guys, our old football coach at Purdue, Joe Tiller, would always say, don't get blinded by your lack of talent. I think all coaches do that. You know, if you don't have speed, now you take speed, but does he fit at Notre Dame? You know, we don't have size, but now we, okay, we, we go and take some, some guys with size, but we don't, you know, check the boxes in terms of does he fit at Purdue, does he fit at Notre Dame, does he fit with me, does he fit in how we do things. Um, but, man, we got a big guy, don't we? And um, it's still, I don't care what you do, whether you're trying to be a coach or you want to be an AD or you're getting recruited and you're trying to do what's best for your son, it's still a people business. So it's, to me, it's, it's taking some guys um, that absolutely do not belong at Purdue. And that's, and that's on me. That's not on anybody else. And that's, um, but you learn from that. The problem is, you know, sometimes we have to relearn things also. And I'm trying to stop. <laughs> I'm trying to fix, yeah. find a different problem or a different mistake I can make. And so um, let's let you redeem yourself. Same question I asked the mayor yesterday. What was your Michael Jordan moment of coaching the culture? You know, I, I don't know if it's one moment, but the thing, the thing that I, what I really value now, and, and I got started as a high school teacher and coach, and mm-hmm. thank God I did, because I, I think I draw on those experiences every day is when my former guys come back and they talk about, he talked about Robbie Hummel and, that, and they had a good experience. Like we, Matt and I got a winner, they're gonna run us out. But, but the, the, the thing, I, I, the pressure I feel, I had my first team meeting the other night before summer school. I got 12 guys in there and they have unbelievable dreams. And I wanna make them all come true. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. That they all have a good experience and leave Notre Dame and come back and feel like, man, coach, that was awesome. Like, I, I, that's really what I want to achieve. And we're not batting a thousand in that department, but we're batting pretty good percentage in that. And that is so fulfilling. Come back with their families, come back and they'll say, coach, remember that time you took me to lunch and we talked about, it's not basketball, family issue. And so, remember that time you told me, and, and sometimes you don't remember those things, but that's the power of being the teacher. Yeah. And really, those are the really rewarding things that I think keep me going. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. You know, Etwan Moore and Juwan Johnson were in the same class as Robbie Hummel. They they've been back this past week, and they they talk about they say things like, "We practice without a basketball for like two hours," which I think is a total lie. Um, <laughs> they say things like, "I said hey, that, that didn't happen." <laughs> you know, it, it just is. You know, but the, but that's what's refreshing is seeing those guys you know, come back. My kind of moment to me where, you know, when I was a high school kid, we grew up and we, my whole family went to Indiana. And so my whole life I wanted to go to Indiana. And so getting recruited by Purdue um, at the start, I was like, man, I don't want to go to Purdue. I hate Purdue. And, you know, you're 16, 17 years old. And that's just how you think. You're fanatical. Um, and uh, my dad pumped the brakes on me and said, you know, you're, 
you're going to listen to Gene Cady at Purdue. And he just said, and, here, and here's why. He's, first of all, it's a business decision. Purdue has great education. And he goes, they always seem to overachieve and win. And he goes, and you need discipline. He goes, I'm not telling you where you're going to go, but you're going to go play for somebody that has discipline. He goes, so if you want to play for Coach Knight, you can play for him. If you want to play for Coach Katie, you can play for him. But if you don't play for those two guys, he goes, wherever you go, he goes, I'm, I will stop you from going somewhere if they don't have discipline. So for me, I always use that in recruiting because it is a business decision for you. You have to do what's best for you. Very rarely should you not think about others. This is kind of a greedy moment in your life that's okay. Yeah. You know, think about it. Then get off that horse after you think about it and make that decision. For me as a coach, um, I really enjoyed being an assistant coach. To this day, I, I enjoy the relationship I had as the assistant. You know, if, if I have a problem with a player or something happens, until I get that fixed, it bothers me. It, it eats at me. I can't sleep. I can't. I got to get it fixed for him. I got to get that. It's just it's the way I'm wired. But I loved it as an assistant because I liked working for Rick Samuels or Bruce Weber where I can go, Coach, I got this. Let me, let me get this for you. Let me fix this for you. So my moment at 32, I was the fourth youngest coach in, the head, in, the, in America when I got the job at Southern Illinois. That was kind of my moment because I never thought that would happen. You know, and then a year later, I bought my first house at 32. And a year later, I ended up coming back for the Purdue job and getting that. And, and, but in my mind, you got to understand, when I grew up in the state of Indiana, you know, Digger Phelps was at Notre Dame for 20 years. Gene Cady was at Purdue for 25 years. Bob Knight was at Indiana for 30 years. In your mind, you don't say who's going to be the next coach at those places. You just think in your mind because you're young, they're always going to be the head coach there. You don't think it's ever going to change. So I grew up a Cincinnati Reds fan and because uh, the big red machine, 1975, 1976. And man, I was pissed off when Tony Perez got traded and when Pete Rose got traded. That devastated me. And that made me into a Cubs fan because cable hit in 1979. And when you got home from school, you had the Cubs because they didn't have lights. And um, you had cartoons. I became, you know, but I was mad at the Reds. It didn't make sense to me. Pete Rose should always be a Red. You know, Tony Perez should always be a Red. Digger Phelps should always be the coach at Notre Dame. Gene Cade. So that, that's how I was wired. And like, to me, that didn't, that didn't make any sense. It still doesn't make any sense. You know, I just, that's the way it, you know, you think about, you know, about things. So the fact that now I'm going to become that, you know, I felt like I stole my own car, you know, you know, and so I just, I'm going to be the next head coach at Purdue. This is on, how did I get here? And how did I get? And so I'm, I'm very, very grateful. And what I always tell our guys is that I am really grateful and fortunate to be the head coach here. And you guys should feel the same way. Purdue's not lucky to have me. I'm lucky to be at Purdue. And I try to bring that forward to those guys because I do know this, if they walked in right now and fired me, we'd still have a season. They'd still play the games, mm -hmm. but they need to know if they go and do something stupid socially and I kick them off, we're still going to play Notre Dame and the crossroads. <laughs> that's right. You know, we're still going to play our game. They move on and that's what everybody in this room, that's what you are in your place. You're a replacement. Unless you own the company, you, somebody is replacing you or they're getting ready your position. You know, and so when you, if you can think that way, I think you can appreciate where you are and be more grateful. Um, it's, it's hard to be mad and grateful at the same time. And so even when people are telling me, we were talking back there, you know, what do you have um, that they're mad about when you're winning? And I always tell our guys, no one's allowed to be pissed off when we win. Nobody. 
If you're mad when we win, man, something's wrong with you. Not something's wrong with me. And guys will be mad. But what are you mad about? We just, we just won. We just beat Michigan. You know, this is, but people are. And so they always, I play all man to man. So anytime something goes awry, like, man, if you would just zone, you know, go to hell. Get your own team. You know, it's the way you feel as a coach. And every time he was talking back there when he loses, they say, why don't you play more people? Because he plays more <laughs> of a seven-man rotation. And so no matter what you do in our business, someone's mad. So that's another reason why you should do the right thing. And we just try to get that into our guys and get them to understand that. And um, I think it, it really works out for them better. It works out for us better. I want to give the crowd, we got about two or three minutes, so I want to give the crowd a chance to ask a few questions. Um, so do we have any? Come on, guys. Seriously, we have two of the best coaches. If somebody asks about right a now. zone, man, we're, we're fighting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first off, thank you, guys. Uh, so I'm with the Sacramento Kings, and we're currently dealing with essentially, you know, guys younger than you may be dealing with. Um, so what are, you know, pieces of the, maybe the best piece of advice that you can give to myself or members of the audience going in and looking at building a culture? What would be that first step for us to really focus on? Well, I think the right, identifying the right people um, and getting the right people with you is, is someone helping you, somebody that's got your same beliefs, so you have some assistance there. But then the right kind of young people in that, that want to chase a team goal, they want to work, they want to get better. Is it a basketball situation? What it is, um, you know, people that want to work on their game and want to be better. You know, a phrase we use a lot is, I love gym rats, love recruiting gym rats, guys that are in the gym. They want to go when we're not there teaching or coaching, they find their way back to the gym. I mean, that's a, that's a special characteristic, I think, in the basketball world, a guy that's in there wanting to work on his game. Um, you know, and, and, and so, you know, if you can find enough people like that, you find enough people that are you, you know, I, I feel like I give my camp talk at the end of camp, you know, are you coachable? You know, are, are, you know, are you, are you coachable? Um, are you a good teammate? You know, what, are you a good teammate? I mean, um, you know, those, I think those are some characteristics as you're building it. And, and then, and then just, you know, I'm, I think in, in this phrase with this group is just, you know, communicating, always trying to work on communication. I, 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 that's something with our guys, you know, can, we need to talk. Can we talk more? Can we I'm, I may start a practice sometimes and say to the staff, I don't want us saying anything for the first 20 minutes. Don't say a word. Let's see what is going on in here. And just to kind of reinforce being able to communicate with each other. But you know, you're building something, you're building relationship with those people. They know that young people know they care about you, you care about them, you're invested in them. You talk to them about things other than basketball. You know, I like when guys come down my hallway, my door's always open and they, they'll sit down and I'll ask about class, I'll ask about what's going on back home, may ask about a brother and we haven't even touched basketball. You know, just that there's, relationships built on that as well. Last word to you, Coach Painter. How about yourself? What's the first thing you do? And if you can get like a 6th, 8th, 7th grader, that may help your team too. <laughs> what's that? <laughs> what, uh, so to answer his question, what's the first thing you do when you, if you're taking over a team, what's the very first thing you do? Oh, it's your people. No question about it. Who you have in that organization, who you have, you know, drafting. And, and, and those are assets. 
you know, as, as you know, you know, having those positive assets and those talented competitive guys, you know, it's, you know, how are you, the thing I think that's difficult and it's different from us is we fix things in practices and you guys fix things in games. You know what I mean? We fix things in practice. If we have a bad game, we're going to get this fixed. Um, and so we have a long period of practice. Your guys' assets are worth so much, the risk of practicing, you can't do it. You absolutely can't do it. You know, you've invested 100, it's crazy. You know, 125 million into somebody on the free agent market. You know, you've got to look at that. That's a little bit differently than you have a 19-year-old student athlete. Um, we look at it in terms of like, hey, they've got a great future or whatever, but if we don't play hard in the game, Man, we, we're going to practice really, really hard. So how we fix things are different than you guys. Um, but, but having the right guys in that locker room and having the right, you see people getting that team, you know, those 10, 11, 12, 13, you want those guys that are good enough to play to whatever, but you also want that chemistry. And so I think getting the right guys and just having the right personnel and then being able to do that. And then what I've always seen in the NBA is you guys aren't all on the same page. You know, Mike can talk about like whether it was president, his board of trustees, his AD. Like when you're, if you're on the same page, like at Purdue, I'm on the same page with our people. It's great because if something goes right, we just go and talk it out. We work it out. So many times when I read, like I'm, and my opinions form through reading stuff, it seems like the people that are being successful in your league are on the same page. They trust their head coach. They trust their general manager. And then like, I mean, so many things happen in and around the draft. A president's getting hired. A general manager's getting dried. You know, there's so many moving. I guess you have your moments where there's a lot of moving parts. You can't have an organization that have moving parts all the time up here. You just can't. There has to be those people that are in place that we can go to that help. If, if I'm always worried about my job security, and he's always worried about his job security, and he's always worried about his job security, man, what about the Sacramento Kings? Or what about Purdue University? Or what about... Man, we got to get where we got stability. We're all on the same page. We're all working together. Sure, there's going to be movement, you know, a little bit here and there. That's just the way that that's, that's, that's employment. Um, but it, it seems like those guys that keep winning a bunch, they have big time superstars and they have good organizations and they, they work with it. There's always some outliers, but it just seems that way. And we are out of time. So thank you both very much for taking the time. Thank you. To thank you. Thank you.